I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. This week on Conversations of Inspiration, I'm speaking to Eleanor Tattersfield, the founder of Marby and Elm. I joined Eleanor in her London Emporium-like shop to hear her journey and bond over our shared addiction to stunning letterpress stationery. Born to entrepreneurial parents, the seed of running our own business was planted from a young age. But it was only after having children, a chance Google for personalised stationery and a spontaneous purchase of a letterpress off eBay that Eleanor found her true calling. We discussed everything from where she finds her inspiration to running a high street space, customer experience in retail and the importance of community. So open, funny and self-deprecating, Eleanor offers such useful tips and advice on how to approach some of the biggest retailers like Liberty, as well as thoughts on setting up a retail space and what it means to run a family business. I utterly adored meeting Eleanor. Her drive, her ability to soak up creativity wherever she may find it and her advice. Don't worry about being shocking. Worry about being remembered. Will stay with me for many years to come. Hi, Eleanor. I've wanted to visit your shop forever and it's a complete dream come true to now pop in to this beautiful surroundings, your beautiful letterpress products, having a cup of tea and I cannot wait to go shopping afterwards. We've actually never met but I've been a fan of your work for a really long time and now we're lucky enough to stock some of your products at Holly & Co, the workshop. But it was Dave Buonaguidi that told me that I had to have you on this podcast as you're great friends with him and so I cannot wait to get chatting. I'd love to begin with your story, the journey that led you to starting your business. I know that creativity and typography has always been in your blood. Yes, it has been in my blood. My dad was a lettering artist. We always made cards at home. There was never any buying cards. There wasn't really much buying of presents, but mainly cards were always made. That was a thing. I studied art history, so I've always been interested. I've always done life class drawing. I've always liked architecture, photography, or, you know, yes, I. But interestingly, I suppose also because my mother was a real businesswoman, that I grew up with those two things in our household all the time. So both my parents worked for themselves, and both of them were entrepreneurial. And my dad was very artistic, and my mom was very business minded which she would say was very unfair because actually she's also incredibly creative. She's very stylish and she dresses incredibly well and she has a real sort of, she has her own artistic flair in fact. So I suppose, yes, I can see now where the seeds of everything started. Although what I'm doing now wasn't apparent when I first left university, for example. Because when you first left university, did you work for the River Cafe, is that right? I did. So what did you do there and what was that journey between being brought up as a young girl, obviously having these two influences, and actually realising you were going to do it yourself? So you started at the River Cafe. You started working at the River Cafe really as a job all the way through university. And in fact, it was it was really uh, three of the best years of my life. I mean, obviously, this is the best, best. But uh, <laughs> but it was a brilliant three years because I was studying art history, which I totally loved. It was every lecture felt like going to the cinema. It was that mm. enjoyable. 
I'd got this great job working at the River Cafe, which a fr- her friend had recommended, and I had completely lied about being able to wait or have any... I mean, I'd never worked in a restaurant before in my life. I was absolutely... Am I allowed to say Yes, shit? this is a swearing I good. I was absolutely rubbish, and I, I lied to get the job, said I'd worked at Café Rouge or something. I even woke up, had anxiety nightmares where I'd wake up in the middle of the night and wait to my room, move things from one surface to another. And I wake up in the morning and I had taken everything from the dressing table and put it <laughs> over on the sofa and everything from the sofa over on the, into the cupboard. And I clearly had huge anxiety about yeah. this, incredibly, because at the time, and it still is, obviously, yes. it was incredibly... Right up there, wasn't it? Yeah, you didn't want to go and not be able to wait, which is what I did. So I put myself in quite a scary position. And, and also the people that had worked there had worked there for a while. It was quite... They, were all, they all knew each other. I was a bit of... felt felt like a... Like a new girl who didn't know how to do it, which was, which in fact was the case. But fortunately for me, lovely Rose, who sadly is not with us anymore, I remember a staff meeting with it where quite a few people wanted to get rid of me. She went, no, no, something I like about her, she's staying. And I, and I overheard it. Oh, great. Thanks, Rose. <laughs> Forever my mentor. Right, anyway, I got, got the hang of it after a while, although it is no easy thing, I have to tell you, to keep your section in order and to keep everybody happy, and to keep those plates literally spinning. It was incredibly fun. I loved it. And I loved all the... I mean, still a big cohort of my friends are from that period, because that was really where I socialised at college. I just went to college and went to my lectures, and then that was my my fun. And it really was fun. And did that then... You you went on, didn't you? Then you did an MA, is that right? Yeah, I did an MA in the Archaeology of London. After I I finished college... um, and I worked for a couple of art dealers for a while. And then I started to work for myself. The first time I worked for myself, set up a little business where I took people on incredibly expensive art tours. Don't you, don't you think that was a good idea, yeah. the expensive bit? <laughs> uh, so I took people on incredibly expensive art tours that were really just me and them, maybe a couple or a single person, mainly people who were interested in collecting art and or interested in going to places that fewer people knew about. And so, and that was my interest, finding lovely spots in London where people didn't go, going to places like Lincoln's and Fields where it's just a beautiful environment and a perfect Georgian setting. But no tourists ever go there because it's a working piece of... Mm. So I would take people to beautiful places, lovely places to eat because... Having worked at the River Cafe, I knew a lot of chefs and I knew a lot of the new restaurants that were opening and that was really interesting to me. So we'd go on these lovely days where we'd go and look at the art they wanted to buy, possibly, or look at. And so I did that for a number of years until my kids were getting to the age where that was just becoming too exhausting because it was effectively prostitution (laughs) without the sex. I mean, it it was. It was, you know, I I was like a sort of geisha. I now see like a really just what you've got what you've got with you in the car is somebody terrible <laughs> you know but it was incredibly fun a lot of those people became very good friends and they were repeat customers and it was great but it was too exhausting with little kids to get home just to pick stuff up when I got home after that was too much and then tell me I'd love to hear the full story of how you actually then came across a glorious letter pressing machine which, which was, I still have upstairs. Which you still have, which was the start of things, was yes, it? Yes, it was. So I just really Googled, I just Googled letterpress stationery because I fancied some for myself. And in the search, somehow, I can't quite remember, but an ad came up or I found uh, something very simple happened, like it was not many clicks away. And I found this beautiful little red Adana hobby letterpress machine for sale and it wasn't too expensive and it wasn't too far away so I thought well I'll just I'll buy that and I'll arrange to pick it up the next day and I drove in my car the next day to St Albans and this lovely man Roy Caslon was selling it and it turned out that he was the great great grandson of Caslon who was a typographer who invented the um, old Caslon typeface which I have upstairs in a drawer which is still one of my favourites and Roy was just, is just a dream, became a great friend, was, showed me how to use my printer, gave me a big box of type, which is still the box of type which I use more than anything, the one that's right on the front desk where people come in and they choose their letters out of it. And I set, got home, 
picked up this huge machine, put it in my shed that evening, and I remember very well setting up my first, and they're still my favourite cards, even though they're naively set. If, you, if somebody was properly looking at the spacing and the kerning and all the things, it was, it, they're not perfect, but they have still a charm that's quite difficult to replicate, actually, which mm. is often the case. And I just loved it. I just loved everything about it. I loved the... I love the things that you play with to get the let to put the letters together. I love all the bits and bobs and the getting it together, the inking, the and the and just the ability to replicate and replicate and replicate something. It just if somehow is magic. God. And so that's that was the beginning of it, and and it really did just very naturally kind of grow from there. With friends go, oh, lovely! Can I? Can you make me some? in this colour or with that typeface and can we do it like, you know, and, and so that's how it started. Oh my goodness, I hadn't actually even st- thought about people behind famous fonts. You can imagine being the person who invented Helvetica or Arial. I hadn't even thought about the fact that there were human beings behind. I think our, we're such in a digital age that you just don't even go there now. No. And I love that moment that you you basically decided to do something. You just bought a letterpress machine. As you said, it wasn't this big building up to it. You just decided to buy something. It's just your passion has just sent you on this completely new journey yeah. of your life. Yeah, something I, just clicked. In, and, and it's changed your life forever. Just that one, yeah. that one yeah. thing that you did. I don't think that can happen all the time at any point still. I think every I think that can happen to anybody at any point, like sliding doors. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I I use the phrase sliding doors oh, all do the you? time. Yeah, because I really you, you do, do go that. through life, don't you? And you say, if I had turned right mm-hmm. rather than left, mm-hmm. what could have happened? Yeah. And it's just it's what makes life magical, isn't it? It really is. And for those listening who might not have seen anything letterpress before or the sort of process, can you just describe what it is? Yes. It's essentially metal or wood letters that you put together to make words. You ink the top of them and then you press the paper on top of the letters and the letters make a debossed impression in the paper. However thick or soft the paper is will, and how hard you press will make that debossing thicker or thinner. Or, but essentially it is like rubber stamping but, with, but within the confines of a machine and with harder stamps that you need to press onto with some force. Does that make it sound? It really does. Okay. So you were there in your garden shed, letterpressing your beautiful stationery. And then what happened? Because then you started to catch the eye of some serious clients, such as Kath Kidston or Jamie Oliver. How did this all come about? What was that? Oh, well, there was a, there's a little stage in between, funnily enough, in between. Yeah, that, that, that little yeah, bit. I had yeah. to get out of the garden, for one thing, <laughs> and start waving them down in the street. Uh, the stage in between was that I had, and I don't know if I should really, yeah, I will admit this, Sir Alan, it was he Lord Alan now. Yes, big impression. Yes. I was watching The Apprentice one night. Okay. As you did. Yes. As you might uh, still absolutely. do. And I thought... I didn't realise that you could just take things that you've made into a shop and say, would you like to buy these for your shop? I didn't realise that that was a transaction that was legal, possible, or, you know, or, yeah. or doable. Yeah. And so I was at that time making cards in my shed and also I was making tags, a lot of different things. I, a friend of mine and my sister, who still works with me, we did a couple of little fate stalls in our local area where we made things and sold them. And then I saw this apprentice, I thought, oh, I wonder if my cards would look really nice in this particular shop. There's a shop near me called, two now, called Melrose and Morgan that sell food, ostensibly. And I thought, oh, my, it'd be re- my cards would look really good in there and it'd be really nice for people if they were buying somebody some chocolates or some wine to buy my tags or cards with them as well. So I just went in. And I said, oh, I, would you look at my thing, the things that I make? I think they're really nice and they might suit, be suited to your shop. Would you be interested? And lovely Ian said, yeah, of course he's lovely. Uh, he said, I love them, of course. Yeah, we'd really like to have them. So they were the first sort of proper grown-up shop that was then selling my things, which made me feel very, you know. And then from... From there, often my shed became too small for all the things I was then buying, you know, more paper stock, more type on eBay. I became slightly obsessed as, well, 
as was my want. I became like, do you remember that character in a children's book where like the head comes out the chimney and the hands come out the window? <laughs> I was like that in my garden shed. Like it had just got to, you know, I was making marks on all the walls from the pressing and there was paint everywhere and it just, the boxes, you know, I became like there was no room for me in that. So I found a little studio around the corner, a, a sort of open studio at the back of a beautiful shop where there were a few different artisans, mainly textile-based embroiderers and um, other designers and, and makers. And so then I was there for a couple of years, which was really lovely. And while I was there, I emailed Liberty with a few images and I sent some things in. So you did that right at the beginning then? Oh, I suppose that's quite early on, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I, mean, I was just about to ask yeah. you actually about the... Because, it, you know, it's a dream for many, many people yeah. to stock Liberty, yeah. to stock Selfridges. And actually a lot of people will wait. You know, they'll build up to that point so that, you know, if Liberty looked back at them, they were more established. You know, hmm. they could... So it's quite interesting that you, quite yeah. early on... And maybe it's the naivety, isn't it, that you I think it, walked I mean, in now, with? I'm, yeah, yeah it, that now you that you're saying have, it yeah. makes me feel... Naivety very, is a blessing when you start <laughs> yeah, a business, uh, believe you me. I didn't feel... Yes, yeah, so, so now it seems extraordinary that I would have had the confidence to do that, to even send that. But that, but why not? Just ask. Yeah. What's the worst that can What's happen? What's the worst that can happen? And so I what think happened I probably, then? They, they said, oh, yeah, I, yeah, we'd love to. We like these a lot. We'll come and have a look. We'd like to have a look. All your range. We'll come... Next week at this time, blah. I was like, wow. That sort of thing doesn't happen really, does it? And so they were coming. I'd set out a group of things all on my desk and I had this little area. It was very open, but I, you know, to clear the desk, put out all the cards that I thought that they might like. And the two buyers came. I liked them a lot. They were very easy company. They were very enthusiastic. They liked all the things that I'd put out. And then they started going through my drawers and going, what? this yeah I like this I like that we'll have those we'll have those and I was oh okay okay and and uh and yeah so extraordinarily they liked it and put a big old order in I don't think I've ever been more excited or grateful did that give you a sense a lot of times when I speak to small businesses it's been given the permission it certainly you know, it, was a seal of approval. Yeah, it's that thing that it can be a mum, your mum and dad, it can be your husband, it can be a best friend, it can be a buyer, it can be marketplaces, but someone saying, you know what, you're, you're not crazy, you know, that yes, thing no, that you're it was doing, a, it was a stamp of actually, approval sure. it's a stamp of yeah. approval. And it's amazing that right early on, if you think of maybe that influence mm. it's had on your business now moving forward, mm. you had a liberty order really early on. So that sort of courage, which is fantastic for business, because as you know, you only have yourself, you only have your own battery, don't you, to yeah, say yeah. every morning you are good enough, keep going. But you right at the early stage had that confidence. Mm. What would you say when you think back and you've been with them for a long time? How, how long? Nine or ten years. I am still now talking about it, feel slightly nervous about mm. talking about it in case yes, I jinx I anything. Well, Do you want touch wood. It's still you know, yes. so important. They are still so important to yeah. me yeah. in every respect because it's such an important shop for design mm. and for new Absolutely. makers. And, for, and it's a real seal of approval. And it really, I am so grateful and flattered and I continue to work incredibly hard to make sure that they are happy with our things that we design new things all the time for them that we have exclusive things that we do for them they mm. are so important to mm. me in in so many respects what would you say if you had a friend that came to you and wanted to be noticed by liberty or wanted to be noticed by selfridges or anybody some of these big brand names what advice would you give i think just persistence finding out you know do your homework Find out who the people are who are who specifically buy the things that you are designing or making. Because find they out have who, buyers, don't they? Who do various things? Who do everything. home? Do chocolate? Right. Do yeah. Find out who the who the person is, and get personal. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously, I'd say that always write a letter. I think a handwritten letter. Find out something about them. Give them something that you think would just, you know, wake spark up, that spark interest. in their letterbox, show that you've that you've thought about it. Because at the end of the day, they're just a human being who likes to be courted, really, like anybody mm. else. And if you can show that you're willing to put the time in to really think about 
um, how to grab their attention, that's flattering and most mm-hmm. people would respond to that. I think back to reading through so many CVs over my career or I think about small businesses and how they get noticed and it is exactly that I think whatever you're thinking about at the moment to get noticed you've got to stand out and you've got to be human and you've got to be personal and I remember receiving packages included is their CV but actually it was a package all about them Mm. so as you read the CV it would ask you to take out certain things out of the box and it would represent them or CVs being done as books If you are there with a ton of A4 sheets of paper on a screen and you've then got this book, something that isn't. Of course you're going to stand out. And I think it's exactly that. And I think we lose our confidence maybe again in the digital age, popping an email, going through LinkedIn, going through Instagram, DMing. Oh, they haven't got back to me on DM. Well, actually, what legwork have you done? How have you really made them think that you are very serious about getting in contact. So I think that's just a lovely thing. And I think also what's so clever about Liberty and what they're doing is that they're putting that sort of customization and giving customers an experience back in store. And I loved seeing you, you did a pop-up there in Valentine's as well. What was that like? Oh, I love it. I just love being in there. I love being in a... I mean, obviously, my shop is a proper shop, but being in a really lovely, big old proper shop, I mean, obviously, to be in the sort of best stationery department in London mm. and to see the people who come in, to see what they're looking for, to see what they're buying, to see, to have interaction with them. I mean, for, for, for me, it's, that's totally priceless. If I wouldn't be chucked out for just sort of holding up there with the chair, I would do it all the time. I mean, that's a, that yeah. is the mecca for yeah. stationery and yeah. it's a privilege to be in the room representing them and us actually and I love it I love the whole performance of it I love the interaction with all the different customers I find it I think it's incredibly privileged to to be in that room I love it so talking about your shop you first opened up your shop on Clerkenwell Road what was that like when you decided to take that leap because on this podcast I wholeheartedly encourage it because you know I really hope that the future of the high street is small and that it's the experience that Mm -hmm. small gives that's Mm -hmm. going to I think save the high street but you know you decided to do that you decided to open your doors to the public was that a difficult decision was were you nervous about that or did you feel that it was always going to be part of your journey I mean I think that I thought in the beginning I mean it's a quite regular fantasy isn't it this yes, is like I'd love a shop with a swinging sign and a, you know and and I was very very keen not to just open a shop when I didn't know whether it was going to work it was much more important for me to continue to be build a wholesale and and private work business where I invitations and personal stationery and then the wholesale person so at that point it was those two were the my sources of income and and then the same thing happened in our Clark and Wells studio that we got too big for the space too many boxes too much staff too much and so in every at every stage we'd sort of outgrown it physically so I was looking for another studio to double up and the people who rented me the studio had this office space that was a shop, but it was being used as an office and the people were leaving and they said, well, you could, re- you could use it as a shop, but we would have to charge you proper shop rent. So it was my fantasy. It was offered to me on a plate. It was only going to be for a year and a half. So I knew that if it crashed and burned and we couldn't sustain that kind of rent, it was going to only be for a year and a half and I would have to just beg Boris Steele if it all didn't work out with the cards we opened this shop and I thought right the this is how I knew how much we had to take a day to pay the rent to pay the staff to pay you know so I knew what my the daily intake had to be and I wanted to try to do something a little bit unusual so I wanted the shop to be our studio but kind of open to the public so people could see us making the things and we had to make the things in that space. So it had to work as everything. It had to work as the place where we produced all the things for our wholesale market. But I had to then have half of it as a retail space. And I imagined it being as it is still and as it turned out to be quite easily, almost like peop- like a sort of heel bar where people would come in and say, oh, I'd like... 12 or 20 or 50 cars with my name in this color with this can you and and we make them almost while you wait 
I mean, mm. the shortest amount of time is probably five or ten minutes. So we can make a box of luxury printed lettergrass cards in ten minutes, which That's because I slight because I slightly invented a formula to do that and I've worked out ways around things so that we can do it that quickly which also enables us to do it in liberty while people wait in the same way in the mm. same way which is what we do when we do the pop-ups so we do bespoke work while people are waiting so you worked out how much you needed so yes. you, you created this wonderful magical figure that you was going to be yeah. so good when yeah, that figure gonna, happened yeah. really yeah. and it was going to happen on the first yeah. day and then it was just going to get better did that happen Pretty, um, pretty much. Oh, brilliant. Pretty much. I was very nervous, but it did really work. We worked very hard on window displays, on pulling people in, on customer. I mean, I, I find that, that part of my job I really, really enjoy, and I suppose does come quite naturally, but I really enjoy interacting with people. I really enjoy pulling out their story and actually what happens there for, not that that was part of the plan, is that then people like to be there, mm. they like the things, they like to be part of it, gives them a warm feeling possibly when they leave, makes them want to come back and they buy things. Amazing. Hallelujah. Things that I made up. <laughs> week on Conversations of Inspiration, we're running a competition with our partner NatWest, where if you are a small business or independent, you are in with a chance to win this very ad break coming up. A free advert to showcase your business to hundreds of thousands of listeners, thanks to NatWest's generosity. This week's winner of our ad break is Cake Drop. Over to you. Is there anything more thrilling than an all-staff email saying there's cake in the office? Cake is a huge part of office culture, and rightly so. Whether it's a birthday, work anniversary, or simply an occasional treat, there is nothing better than tucking into a slice of the good stuff with your work besties. I'm Anna, and I'm the founder of Cake Drop, a cake scheduling and delivery service for London offices. My sister Nicola and I came up with the idea for Cake Drop, having both worked in the city, and recognised that despite London being home to some incredible independent bakeries, all with unique styles and offerings, there's weren't the cakes making it into offices. For those busy office managers who don't have the time to arrange a freshly baked cake from a local baker, office celebrations often result in that same old, mass-produced supermarket favourite, calling the Caterpillar. So we set out on our mission, to create joyful moments for London's office workers by sourcing and delivering the best cake their city has to offer, and creating a solution for office managers who are often organising cake all week after week. And with every slice, our customers are supporting the fabulous and talented bakers of their city who put their creativity and soul into each cake they make. We launched in summer 2017, having developed a platform where offices can sign up and schedule cakes on their personal calendar for up to a year in advance. No birthday goes amiss and no more trips out of the office to grab another Colin who seems to caterpillar his way into offices far too often. We've now delivered over 1,000 freshly baked, incredible seasonal cakes to some really cool offices, all on our zero CO2 emissions cake drop push bikes. So gather your work besties, knock on the boss's door and fly the flag for cake day in the office and doing birthdays right. It's all about getting that work cake balance, celebrating your colleagues' milestones and supporting your talented local bakers. Find us at www.cakedrop.london and on Instagram and Twitter at cakedropldn and join the office cake revolution. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses can tell and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website, holly.co. What have you got to lose? Get recording. I can't wait to have a listen. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. Tell me what you would say are a few 
points that you wish maybe you'd known when launching a physical shop? Because I, I just feel that a lot of people have a barrier to that thought, you know, that let's face it, there are a lot of places in everyone's town listening that is empty right now. Mm. And, you know, what stops people going, you know what, actually, I'm not going to work in my bedroom. I'm going to mm. going to go mm. down the local high street. I'm going to negotiate and I'm going to get this space. It is tough, as we know, actually having that space. But what, what did you learn that makes it less... Onerous less, a task or onerous a less, thought? Yes. Well, the main reason not to do it is it is incredibly expensive, obviously. Overheads are the scariest and most, you know, difficult thing to navigate. Having said that, because, as you say, there are lots of empty spaces around and about at the moment, I think try to get short leases on places and see if it works. Try to get a six-month pop-up. Try to get a year's pop-up. In a way, like I had in that first shop, so I had that. I had my sort of my escape at the end of that. If it didn't work, you know, I you it wasn't I was yeah. bound for 10 years or 20 years in a lease. Not that anyone really ever is. I mean, I think all these things are quite scary. They're definitely scary to me. They're, they're sort of grown-up things, which I'm not very good at handling. But they are even, a 10-year leases even, get out a bull if you need to. So you don't need to... I think don't worry about them so much and just try. Just see what it's like. Use it as a piece of theatre and fun. The way that I envisaged it, or the way that I thought that it would be helpful for the brand, is it almost to be like a piece of theatre where everything's made, this is where the stories have to come out of, this is where the Instagram feed comes out of, so hopefully people can get a sense of a lovely, old, working letterpress shop when they buy a card, even if they buy it off the shelf from another shop. And to have that, it's a great addition to any... And as you say, if people just think of it more as having their studio in a public space... It's always intriguing. People want to come in. They want to ask you what you're doing, how you're doing it. You know, and that interaction with the person making the thing is the opposite of what you get when you buy something from Amazon. The complete opposite. I was going to talk about, actually, that that something that's come through on this podcast is this notion of retail theatre. Basically, in order to survive on this high street and actually... The time is now when you think about what's actually happening out there and how the things that are going were a bit grey anyway. So it's that putting on a show, entertaining the customer, the visual displays, the customer service, light liberty with their store experiences. It's something that obviously comes out of you now meeting you. This is something your creativity is on display. And I feel that creatives, they have that within them, especially if they're the creator, because you are actually talking about what you have just made, what's come from within you. And that this idea that this show that you're putting on, that you can change the windows whenever you want to, you know, coming up to Christmas, what are you going to do? What's going to stand out? And I do believe that small businesses and creatives, if you marry that together, as you said, get that pop-up, pop in, it can be just mind-boggling, really, the success you could have, because there is such a lack of this everywhere else and I think that that interaction with people you know that sense of community the idea that you know when 50 years ago to 40 years ago when my parents were younger it was very natural that you would know the person in the butcher and you would know the person in the post office and you would know and it was that is life enhancing little bit of interaction with another human being that you just that people don't get as much anymore they don't feel a sense of knowing the people in their in their local high street and so what I love about this little area here in Clerkenwell is I do really feel part of the community. We have, I would say, 60, 50, 60% of the people that come in are repeat customers, people I know, I know their names, I know the cards they've ordered before. It's, you know, it's that thing, that very old-fashioned thing of, oh, so, you know, oh, so Maggie's birthday's coming up, what, what should we write on her card this year? You know, I know the stories of the people that come into my shop and they know mine and there's a very... You know, I I think that that kind of connection with people is really life enhancing. It's actually in this day and age where we're so isolated, aren't we? Glued to our phones or our screens. It's even more surprising now when Mm. someone knows your Mm. name. Mm. Mm. It's this wonderful thing. And see, you offer this customisation. I am still getting over the fact that you can order that many cars and it'd be customised and you literally, it's happening as you're waiting. What have been some of the best commissions you've created for customers? Oh, God. Uh, Because of my 
predilection for the story behind the things that people ask me to make. I like it when people come in and they say, oh, so you make bespoke cars, do you? I go, yeah, 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 you can write anything you want on them, anything. And you're like, oh, oh, brilliant. Oh, well, um, you couldn't make me a card that says, um, thank God for the National Express, could you? I go, yeah, yeah, sure. So what, what's with the, what's, what's the story? And then I'll get this lovely story. In this instance, this man had been on holiday with a girl that he'd liked, was an old friend, nothing had happened on the holiday, but he'd sort of grown to quite fancy her. And he hadn't done anything, hadn't done anything, the plane journey home, hadn't done anything, but there was a diversion and EasyJet landed somewhere else and then they had to get this National Express bus for a good five hours from the airport they were diverted to back to where they were originally supposed to land. And so he had this extra five hours in which, you can imagine, he managed to uh, convert the relationship. (laughs) And so he wanted to make, for their first anniversary, a card that said, thank God for the National Express, which is just so romantic and such a lovely little anecdote. And it's those, Mm. I mean, that, for me, those Mm. things, and to be part of that is lovely. And I love reading about your card of the day, where you test the market with your cards. Tell me about that, because it's... Quite a simple idea, but I really don't know of other people that do it. And it's genius. Well, I love doing it. So, for example, if people come in and like the, thank God for the National Express, but I hate it when somebody comes in and they stare at my wall of cards for a few minutes too long. And I think, and I say, I'm so so sorry, excuse me, what what, what are you not finding here? Like, what card have I not covered? (laughs) Please tell me because, you know, I'll get printing (laughs) because I will just get printing. And quite often what they're looking for, it happens, you know, not every time, but quite often they'll say something like, uh, have you got one that says um, you're so fucking fabulous? Excuse the language. And I'll say, no, I haven't, but it's, but it's, but it's, that's good. I like that. I'll tell you what, I like it so much that I'll give you this one for free. I'll make 10 and I'll put one and I'll put them up if you don't mind. No, no, no. Brilliant. Okay, cool. So a lot of the cards which have then gone into the permanent collection have started like that because of the way that I print and I can do it fairly quickly. It means that I can think of something, even if I, you know, occasionally I've thought first things myself. Uh, Think of some line, put it in a card, put it on the shelf, see if it works. That kind of feedback, that kind of marketing Mm. feedback is, is, is really priceless. So then I can tell by how quickly those cards sell, whether that's one to run and run with. That's really clever because it's that test and learn on the spot marketing. And I've always thought that the absolute best bit of small business is that ability to be nimble, isn't it? And to be reactive. And I found it one of the joys of founding Not on the High Street was I was surrounded by these ingenious, nimble small businesses. And we used to use the term reactive development in which partners would very quickly produce a product so apt for the moment. You know, the power of wonderful small businesses that could turn around personalization sort of quite instantly and cleverly. Um, cleverly? Is that a word? <laughs> Could be. I'll make. I'll make a card in a minute. Thank you very much. That's that's. I was wondering what I was going to have on my bespoke card. It's cleverly. We can change the language. Fantastic. <laughs> but the best example we had was when um, Kate and Wills had their baby, and their name was announced George. And a partner called Kushti for Kids instantly created a T-shirt which was printed. I was George first. And we put it straight onto the homepage and, of course, it became this complete bestseller. And it's what I would just urge small businesses is what products can you have fun with at the moment? Mm. Mm. Listening to customers, listening to what's happening. You know, we also have wonderful Susie from Twisted Twee who has the politicians on pants. Absolutely brilliant. You know, know, actual proper pants. You know how I love a Yes, do blonde Yes, exactly. Yes, so we have um, lots of politicians' faces on pants. It's that idea of picking up. You can pick up that press, or you can pick up the moment, and it's something that big businesses can't do. No, big. Yeah, exactly. And we have the privilege to be able to do that. So, for example, I'm thinking. I don't know why, but a rather dark example of that has come to mind. Of things that, well, that I remember the day that Alan Rickman died, and we made a bunch of truly madly deeply cards, and I put them all in the window, and it was. just a really nice little kind of mm. homage to him and it was a nice card and it also was a nice card anyway so it's you yes. know for, for valentine's or for 
you just even saying that story, you know, when we think about budgets and small businesses and PR, what is PR? How do I write a press release? How do I do this? Actually, it's very easy now. If you can adapt your products to the time, get it out there, send the picture over. You can use Instagram. You can reach out to these people now. It's not just for your customers. It can be for gaining another wholesale client or it can gain press or you can gain some marketing through it. It's just that ability to, we were touching on it earlier, be personal. Tell me about now that we talk about this connection, but you do live in a digital age. What do you think the benefits are for small businesses how has that benefited you well I am trying not to be a luddite around (laughs) and obviously my world and my passion is very analog so it is the complete reverse to that but Instagram is really an easy and lovely way and important I think increasingly important to get your sort of message out and I don't do it enough and I don't do it in a methodical enough way and I have great plans as I have for many aspects of this business for for you know really dealing with that in a whole other way being much more clever about when you post things and what you post and all the tags and all the hashes and all that you know I'm not terribly good at that but Having said that, I feel that what I do do is still very beneficial. It makes it gives people a window. And if you can be a bit personal and a bit honest in your Instagram, and they're not all just the most beautiful pictures of, you know, whatever, that there is a bit of reality. And I noticed, you know, it's nice to look through and see which post did the best, right? That's a very, very interesting and, and useful marketing tool to see which ones, which, which words, which cards, obviously specifically, but also which kind of posts get people commenting and interacting with you and in my instance if it's of interest they are always ones where the shop is where I am in it which I is slightly annoying so it means I'm, <laughs> uh, but uh, people do like it if you are in it and they see you and they can connect with you obviously and the shop and displays and shelves and, and the type and the things that you make and um, and swear words people love a swear word they do, if I could, they? if that one piece of advice I could give, don't Swear. hold back. <laughs> so Instagram is your main sort of digital outlet, would you say? Do yes. you do? Uh, do you think about emails? Do you think about Facebook? Do you think about your website? What, what, I mean, I those... think a lot about the website, and I uh, the, the the website is increasingly important, and there are increasing numbers of sales coming through it. Thank touching another piece of wood in my head and which is great because then that's a rev- an area of revenue without the overheads which of course we all need more and more and what I try to do with web sales is I try to give that customer as much personal interaction as possible as well so I always write a personal note in with every order I email them to make sure that they know when it's sent that I've got their order there's a bit of you know and a lot of people order things that are obviously personalized as well through the website so then that's a whole exchange so I think that you can amalgamate and you can put together both you can try I think you should try to get as much as you can give a personal experience to even something over the internet Well, you've got this list of things to do. How do you prioritise that then? So in terms of when you think about the next five years, not what your plans are, but how do you as a small business think, you know what, I've really, really got to deal with SEO. I've got to start sending an email out. I try to keep a list every day of and I try to do a couple of things from each area every day if I can. So that means one thing that is to do with designing something or printing something in the shop. One thing that is to do with boring accounts, you know, chasing invoices, that kind of thing, that kind of really, that really, those really onerous tasks that you have. And essential. And essential, exactly. And and one sort of pressy thing where I might try to think of one person that I could send something to or contact that that might be good for some kind of future press thing or getting uh, keeping our brand in the you know yeah out there out there in the sphere so I try to keep on top of those things every day and then an Instagram post not every day but like every other day but 
obviously I am the the main thing for me is standing in the shop interacting with clients and physically printing things so that I'm doing all the time and then these other things I will just try to get their essentials must do of the day yeah and you must get many customers that have stationary philia so Ooh, this is a coined, uh, uh, hang on, this is going on my card. That's the word that's going on my card. I coined the phrase a few years ago as I realised there wasn't this word for when you're absolutely addicted to stationery. And I'm sure you have many people that come into the shop feeling the same. I'm sure you absolutely are the queen of stationerophilia. Is stationery in this whole world something that you are obsessive about? Yes. You know, yeah. Did I answer that too quickly? Yes, you did. <laughs> no, well, you didn't. I expected it. What I did do once that was really fun for said stationary files or stationary filiacs. No, that would be too much. Um, is I had one, the last hurrah in my last shop, I decided I was going to go out with a big bang and we were going to change the shop into a stationary pawn shop for stationary addicts or files. Oh or filias. my gosh. And so, and do you know what was surprising, or maybe not, was that pretty much everything in my stock <laughs> didn't need to change at all. It was all, it could all quite easily be interpreted. So we made lots of vinyls for the, for the, for the window I that were very this. funny, things like rubbers, rubbers, rubbers. And live printing girls. That's us. <laughs> and what else did we have in there? And so I changed the name of our Shepherd Market candle, which was called Shepherd Market because it is a red light district historically and still is. There are still red lights and doors open there. Should mm-hmm. you need it? Should you need that? Um, have I mentioned prostitution too much? <laughs> I think I might have done. Anyway, um, I changed the name of Shepherd Market to Victorian Brothel for the occasion. But really, lots of our cards, you know, could, were, could, were doubling up. There was a lot of innuendo all over the shop, brilliantly, that sort of worked. And so we did play on the addict in quite a big way. And it was really brilliant. Actually, it worked really well. There are just lots of crossovers. Brilliant. It's, so, it's just so brilliant because this is the thing when we, we talk about business, you know, actually what you just did there was an incredibly clever PR, amplification, whatever you want to call it, um, stunt, you know, people stunt, pay, I think that's yeah, people pay big money, you know, to have a whole team in a department think about these things. It really is what it's about being a creative small business. You know, you can pull these things off and you probably did it very, very quickly. And it was genius and creative and out there and shocking and makes people talk yeah and this is the thing that is just inspiring you know I just completely think that that is just a a real inspiration for people listening you know what could you do with your business that turns heads that I mean maybe we're gonna suddenly I think don't worry about being too shocking don't worry about just uh, worry about being remembered worry about being remembered Where do you get your inspiration from for Uh, for for that specific idea? (laughs) But where do you get your inspiration for design and and, and products? So we talked about customers and things like that. But Mm -hmm. I know you went to Japan and I'm sure that was just like a, you know, absolute mecca for stationary lovers. I I mean, there's just too much. I'm, I'm still overstimulated from the trip, frankly. Historically, where do I get my inspiration from? Um, uh, Going to exhibitions, going to art galleries, is boring to say, but it's true. So pop art, contemporary art, those things, even concerts. So I remember going to a Coldplay gig once and they had an incredible set that was all covered in graffiti and it was very, it was very graphic and it was very on trend. And it was very, you know, so clearly, you know, you can really get inspiration for, from everywhere and anywhere and I and I do like Dave Bonaguidi with brilliant posters about things he's heard about on the tube and people having romantic liaisons at bus stops and things uh things I've overheard things I've seen I mean so many different things but yes Japan and New York hysterically (laughs) hysterically that's me uh she's a hysterical sex addict clearly (laughs) that is what we've come to the conclusion historically let me rephrase that you know, I've loved looking around all the sort of independent little shops in Brooklyn for years before I started, even those kind of places. Japan, I mean, if you can ever get there, go. If you ever think that you are bored of this earth, go to Japan. 
even if you're interested in anything, be it food, culture, design, noises, toilet flushes. <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, so Japan is a really, really inspiring place. I mean, not only are they obsessional about the packaging and about the look of things and the beauty and the quality and the attention to detail, their design aesthetic, I think. I mean, I, I studied Edo period prints at university, <clears throat> not wanting to sound irritating but that beautiful singular mm. you know there is definitely such a strong sense of almost graphic design in even landscapes with Japanese art I mean they're just so simple beautiful asymmetric there is something about the space they leave that you know mm. is the most important thing what strikes me about your story I'm just thinking as you're talking about how you've moved your childhood on to now having your career within something that you were brought up through, through your father's footsteps and this heritage and that it was in your blood and this sort of passion for craftsmanship. And it's an ultimate beauty, I think, of um, running a small business because you can employ your favourite people in the world and you can run your business with your sister. And is it right your brother helps with photography and your mum and dad also help out? Yeah. What's it like running a true family business? What does... As dysfunctional as, <laughs> as a family at home. <laughs> <laughs> Except at work. <laughs> yes, I mean, it has all the elements of that. I mean, I think for me, the really gratifying thing about doing that and working with my family so closely, especially with my sister, is that I wouldn't see her so much if I didn't, for one thing. So it means that I get to see her every single day and that we sort of grow old a bit together, which is really nice because we wouldn't, she lives in Kew, I live in North London, you know how it is with your best friends these days, how often do you really get to see them and how long do you spend with them? And so that that's really lovely. My brother, who takes all the photographs for the website and does all the tinkering around of the website, changing things and designing the... So that's great. I get to work with him. And it's really nice to get my dad to pull out his paintbrushes again to do his calligraphy because he does such beautiful work and he hasn't needed to do any... You know, he was a photographer after he was a graphic... after he was a lettering artist. And so it's really... I think it's really nice for him. haven't really checked, but he does it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> seems to do it when I ask him to do it. Beautiful lettering for us so that we mm. can incorporate that into our designs. And then my mum, she's my mum, who is the sort of, you know, she is a sort of driving, she's a, she's a force of nature, always was. And I think that, um, well, I'll come to it a bit in my letter at the end, so I won't say anything more about her. What do you, do you think your sons will carry on the tradition? No. Do, do, no? No. No interest? No, it, no. No, well, actually, that's not true. That's not true. I will rephrase that. They, they've become very interested in making money. Marlowe, who is the Marby of the Marby and Elm, likes to come and uh, take money on Saturdays. So he likes to work the till and he likes to interact with the customers. And it's made him quite, should I say this, but he, he's quite entrepreneurial himself. He goes down to Camden after school and fills up his rucksack with multi-packs and then sells them at school individually Fantastic. for the real price is that a thumbs up that is a thumbs up i think it's my legal first, anyway but my first business was the school tuck shop yes do you see yeah it? oh gosh yeah and i used to go i it was my yes. my most exciting, exciting part thing. of my life yeah was buying how many cheese what's it's yes. and, and making and reselling them and then i would go and buy more cheese what's yes. with the money yeah. you know yeah and so, he, I, I ate a lot of it. That was a yeah. yeah, slight issue. No, with it, another bonus. Yeah, exactly. Win-win. So I'm, I'm thinking it's a fantastic thing. And, well, you know, you can't be surprised. No, you know, I'm not surprised. I'm your not parents, surprised. you, the DNA is strong. And to, the DNA is strong, yeah, 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 yeah it's true. But also working in business with your family, I've worked with my sister since 2005. My father, who's been a reluctant financial director or CFO or mentor throughout my whole career. And it's an incredible thing. My mum is his biggest advocate to anything we build and, you know, we'll stop people on the street and, and we'll tell them about it and things. It is the luxury, though, isn't it? to running your own business, yeah. the, the luxury. And I think I really love the point that you made. And it's something I will tell a few people that work at Holly & Co now who happen to be very old best friends and things. Because actually, you're right. If we didn't work together, we wouldn't see each other. Because with kids and jobs and everything, you would see each other once every Friday night, 
every month, maybe. You know, so it is this world that you can build. And I don't think necessarily we always, you know, realise that. We don't, you know, realise that you can actually build a world that you love to live in. You know, so if that's employing your family, you're allowed because you're the boss. Yeah. You know, and yes, you might not ever talk about anything else ever. You know, doesn't which matter. it we're doesn't matter. We're still <laughs> talking to each other, which frankly, oh yes, <laughs> with the talking bit is it is yeah. is the bonus. I know from my own life is you know Sunday lunches together. Yeah, yeah. You, you talk about the roast potatoes maybe for a few minutes, and then, and then you, then get, you stuck get stuck in. The, yeah, get, and also they all. Obvi- I mean, it's an obvious point, but they are the ones you can really trust as well. Agree, agree. We're coming to the end of this interview and I always use, I know, I'm very sad. I use the analogy that running your own business is like this crazy, never stopping roller coaster. However sick you feel, it's going to keep on going. Can you tell me about a low that you've experienced in this journey? Hmm. The low is more not a specific moment, but is feeling overwhelmed and feeling like you can't do it all and sometimes feeling not sleeping. Obviously, we all don't sleep, mm-hmm. right? That's a given. I know I've heard you mention that before and it, my insomnia bookmarks upstairs, by the way, if you need any tips, I <laughs> have everything on there. <laughs> um, but it's the feeling of occasionally I allow myself to feel overwhelmed and when you know when someone's calling from a school to say you've got to get back because somebody's fallen over and you've got to run there but you've got somebody in the shop and you're trying to run a business and you something important and and it's that thing of sometimes not having the perspective that you need in that time to go well actually it doesn't matter I'll just shut the top and I put a sign on and I say I have to go to school to pick nobody's going mm-hmm. to mind mm-hmm. but that sort of that thing of being pulled in many directions but really that's completely down to your making that so I I think the the lows are dealing with that really for me that's the that's the difficult thing and the high well once when I was in the window of liberty Sir Alan winked at me and I thought, oh, that's brilliantly full circle. <laughs> so that was one high. I tell you, the high that I had once, I mean, it, it was, I remember getting an email from Liberty and the subject was, wow, exclamation mark. And it was regarding our card sales. And I just thought, oh, that is the most, I'm going to frame that. You need to frame that. I need to frame that. I mean, brilliant, are the brilliant highs is just working really hard with people to get something really beautiful off the ground for example recently we just made this poster for for a client for his 10th wedding anniversary and for somebody to give you sort of carte blanche in terms of like the design they just say look I really these are all the important little things about our life together or marriage and can you come to put them all together in a way that would be nice and you know you design it and you put it together and we made this beautiful thing together and it took a long time but it was really gratifying to make it was really gratifying that he was so happy with it that she was then so happy with it that then you know all of that sort of thing is really lovely because it's all part of that you know that lovely I mean the thing that I really like is that sort of making those connections with people enhancing not to sound wanky and a person that you think I could interview that would inspire us? Well, the person I'm going to say, you might just be annoyed at me saying it because he's too well known. But if I tell you the little story of why I'm suggesting him, you might also agree. And the person is Paul Smith. And the reason is, I mean, obviously he's brilliant and a genius and fascinating and all of the things we know about him. But I wrote to him a few years ago. And I said, dear Paul Smith, uh, these are a few of my things. I think you'd really like some of my things. Imagine, so bold. I think you quite like the things that I make. And I would love to meet you. I wonder whether that would be something you would ever do. Anyway, probably not. Never mind. But he wrote back and said, I do really like your things. And I'd really like to meet you for tea. So please come round. So he invited me to come to his offices in Covent Garden where he spent probably two and a half hours with me. Yeah. I mean, this is the... the, I mean, he showed me every single room in the building, explained what everybody was doing in every single room in the building. He was so the Paul Smith that you imagine Paul Smith is in real life. He's interacting with the postman downstairs and taking the package off him and having a little laugh with him. 
Mm. You know, he's that. So Mm. uh, total hero, total hero to give somebody like me the time of day because he's really doing what you do in that he thinks it's really important to help and promote young designers and makers. Not young, (laughs) new. Uh, to uh to to for yeah. you know for for completely selfless reasons i thought i mean and he was just a totally delightful funnily enough i passed him in passed him in a corridor in tokyo all comes round i tell you in a weird does isn't life a funny isn't life a funny thing and we're reaching that point now you are really infectiously delightful so I'm going to smile all day for how much you've just built me I don't know my I feel so energetic after meeting you and there's not many people that actually I meet and I feel that and I've just gained all of this wonderfulness from you and you've got this thing that you're doing which I so believe in you're taking craftsmanship and tradition and you're turning it on its head and you have fun with it and you're showing us to be braver and and it's just been a real honor real real honor so thank you so much for your time no thank you it's um really really enjoyed it and I'm sorry that I swore so much and said stupid words and lots of love you even more for it (laughs) and it's this wonderful moment where I hand over to you but whatever you say I just want to say thank you very much for sharing it with us today oh this is really nervous it's not just over to me now is it it's over to you (laughs) Holly, it's been lovely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, so the the letter to my younger self, and this is just, instead of writing out a whole letter, I've done some points, so I hope that's all right. And I hope the grammar's all right. I'm worried about that. Um, okay, so dear younger me, don't be afraid to do all those things you think you're way too unqualified to do. You aren't. The people doing those things are just like you, except they're doing them. I think I still need to tell that to myself. You can do anything you put your mind to if you work doggedly hard at it. You are a human and you have the same credentials as those that you rate so highly. You are clever enough. Imagine, you're not stupid. You were put into the wrong year at school. That's why you felt so stupid. Everyone else could read because they've been doing it for two years. Never mind, that's a bit personal. Don't worry about that. Your opinions are valid. Your instincts are often right. And if they aren't, There is still value in them, so be bold. You probably think I am already. You will spend a long time building your confidence, as you're not sure of yourself now. The undermining voice in your head is loud, but it will calm. You will develop very strong social skills. You wouldn't have known it back then, but when your father said that you should say hello to everybody, even if they don't say hello back, that is something that you will hold dear and will mean a lot to you. Your ability to chat and connect with people, strangers or long-lost friends, will be a powerful and rewarding part of your life. Your mother is right when she tells you that keeping the clients happy is the most important thing in business. All those times that you watch her, even now, with the phone tucked under her chin as she stirs the dinner on the stove, making sure that one of her temps is coming in tomorrow... This will be something you understand when you're older and you will have to do the same thing with your own business. Be nicer to your sister. She just walked up the stairs. She will always be there for you and you will love working with her when you're older. Try not to get overwhelmed. This is your natural predilection. And so try to take things slowly. Don't feel guilty all the time. You can't keep everybody happy. Value your time. Have some self-worth. Don't always dance to the tune of others. One day you will have a doll's house-like shop with a swinging sign within which you will design and make all the lovely things that you sell and people you don't know will come in and love it and part with their hard-earned cash to take a little piece of you home. Can you imagine? Thank you. Thank you so much. It's it, I can tell through what you've written that not always the confident person that I see here today, you weren't like that maybe in your past. And it has been 
um, a real wonderful moment to sit, as I said, opposite someone who has obviously gone on a journey themselves. And now is this full, smiling, beaming, wonderfulness. And no wonder people come in and love this shop and love you. It's just been just great. I can't oh, wait. Can't wait to get shopping and print those cards. I mean, I've collected many words now that we're going to have yeah, to yeah, print yeah. there. Write yeah, write more down. <laughs> can't lose any of them. Thanks so much. Thank, Thank you, Holly. You. Really, Thank really you. loved it. Thanks, NatWest, again for sponsoring this podcast. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering people in business. That's why they developed the NatWest Business Hub. It's full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals. Go to natwestbusinesshub.com to get started. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. I want as many people as possible to believe that they can build a business doing what they love. So could I ask a favour? If you like what you're listening to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come